much, Beth and team. That was excellent. Good morning. Josh lied to you. It was Black Widow I was contemplating, not Wonder Woman. I hope that you'll join us there. So this week is our final week of the series that we've been in. We've called more that God has so much more for us than we are tapping into, than we're growing. We've talked about the ministries that the Holy Spirit wants to have in our lives. And if you look at the bottom of your bulletin there, we we have some of those just kind of by way of review and summation, dynamic ministries that we don't always think about. One ministry is new life. And identity, that, that not only does the Holy Spirit draw and invite us into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but also he wants to teach us truly who we are, who God, our creator, had in mind when, uh, when we were born, how he wants to knit us together and discover abundant life, true life, and who we're called to be as children of God. Also, is that isn't talked a lot about, is the ministry of intimacy. Unlike any other religion in this world, we get to not only know about our God, know about our Savior, but he is alive and alive to us. That we get to walk in intimate relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit because of his spirit. We've also talked about a ministry of character formation or spiritual formation, or some would call it sanctification, that God cares about our hearts. He cares about our brokenness. He cares about our need. And so he wants to get in there and work on the things that we just did as we confessed. He cares about things like pride or bitterness or unforgiveness. And he wants to work his presence and power within so that we might be transformed from the inside out. Beth did a wonderful job of talking about the voice of God, counsel of God, that he is a God who is speaking to us, that he is a God who is revealing who he is and what his plans and agenda for this world are. And he speaks if we would but listen, right? He's speaking and drawing us in. The, the sheep will know the shepherd's voice. He wants us to know and identify his voice in our lives. For Pentecost Sunday, we talked about empowerment, a crucial ministry of the Holy Spirit that the the church doesn't talk enough about. We talked about baptism and filling and ongoing filling that as he calls us to live his work, his agenda in this world, that he doesn't say, Don't do it on your own power, but be filled with his power. He wants us to plug into the source, a vital ministry of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about the the ministry of gifts and prayer ministry, that each and every one of us are called and gifted Most of us, several gifts, and he wants us to discover those gifts, discover those graces, and use them 
for the building of the church and the extension of the kingdom in this world. So we're at the final ministry, which unfortunately, the ministry that we're talking about this morning is for some people, it's our least favorite ministry. That, that we, we actually don't like to talk about it sometimes. There's a number of reasons about that. But, um, but really, this is a vital ministry. The ministry of witness and evangelism. Now, for many of us, that, that if you've ever had the honor and the privilege of leading someone to Christ Jesus, boy, it's such a, a beautiful thing. It's such a life-giving thing. It's, it's awesome. I, I love in those moments when I get, I even love not even when it's just leading people to, uh, uh, to, to cross the line, so to speak, but, but really to talk with people about the Christian faith and this life. It, it can be such a neat and rewarding thing. But for many of us, We've had, and myself included, that we've had more failures than successes. Would you agree with that? That, that we've had more awkward moments than good moments, right? And that kind of works against that energy and excitement for witness in evangelism. One of my favorite stories uh, on evangelism is uh, a friend of mine who was, um, he was working up the courage to ask his girlfriend to marry him. She's now his wife. And so he had found, he had planned it out and they had gone to this park and uh, they find kind of this secluded spot in the park and they were having a picnic and, you know, he's nervous, he's sweating a little bit, he's got the ring in his pocket and he's just about to make his move verbally for the question and through the bushes comes this old sweaty guy. And he says, hey, sorry to interrupt, but do you know Jesus? <laughs> and my friend was, uh, 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 I mean, he was a, a minister. So yes, but he was, <laughs> he was just taken so, and he, uh, yes. But do you have a personal relationship with God? Yes, now leave. No, that, uh, so we've had a lot of awkward moments of evangelism, right? <laughs> Sometimes we've created those awkward moments and some of those, in fact, just this morning, unbeknownst of the message this morning, someone told me an awkward moment of someone else evangelizing them, right? So we've had those moments that are there. I believe that the Spirit of God wants to rejuvenate this mini ministry of witness and evangelism. That he wants to teach us and lead us, not to these awkward moments. In fact, God never asks us to create awkward moments. I think we do more harm than good when we do that, right? But, but he wants to fill us with this grace of witness and evangelism. He doesn't want it. One of the reasons that we are, don't do well in evangelism is oftentimes we do it in our own wisdom, so we think, or our own power. And he says, no. I'll give you the wisdom. Amen. I'll give you the power. Another reason that it, we've had some awkward moments is that our culture is changing. And quite honestly, some of the things that we've done in the past in the name of evangelism just doesn't work today. 
is just going to be awkward or inauthentic. And so this morning, I want to look at some timeless, what I would say, timeless principles in Scripture that, that could really help us and empower us and lead us to be people who are sharing this vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ that we have discovered. Not in awkward ways, not in forced ways, not in inauthentic ways, but in ways that honor God and in ways that honor others. And in fact, we're going to look at an ancient story because I think some of these principles are timeless, a little bit different in the culture and the context, but, but are, are true as in the Old Testament as into the New Testament. Would you turn with me way back to the beginning? If you've brought your Bibles, wonderful. I want to encourage you to continue to bring your own Bibles so you can mark them up and underline and highlight. Um, but there are Bibles located in the seats in front of you, some of the seats in front of you. Pull that out. And you'll see in the Old Testament, you have a couple of books that are 1st and 2nd Samuel, some ancient story, 1st and 2nd Kings, and then 1st and 2nd Chronicles. We are going to be in 2nd Kings. So you can look at the table of contents if that's helpful. Uh, you can find it in there. And we are going to be looking at the story of a, a, a general a commander of a foreign nation. He does not know the Lord God. In fact, he's from the nation of uh, Aram or Syria. It was also known. And, and he was uh, respected, you'll see, not only by his own king and country, but by others. And he was, even though he did not know God, he was used by God or God's favor and success was on him. And yet, there's an issue in his life. So let's read. We're going to start at 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to break the story up. It's a little bit longer of a story. And it reads at verse 1, Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but here's his issue. He had leprosy. He had leprosy. He doesn't know God, but God is working through him and he's got this issue. Now, bands of raiders from Aram, Aram and Israel had a, a loose uh, treaty that was there, but they were still, they shared a border and they were back and forth fighting. And a band of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Did you get this? This, this young girl who has been captured, she's an Israelite, she's a Hebrew, serving this foreign commander in his household, and she speaks to the issue that he has in his life. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel 
So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I am sending you my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. All right, so there's some international work that's happening here. The king of Israel doesn't respond too well. He's very nervous. He's thinking it's a trap. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. He's thinking that the king of Aram is creating this controversy as an excuse to go to war. When Elisha, the prophet, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this, this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know, have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha the prophet's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Leprosies, issue of the flesh. But Naaman went away angry. Oh, you know, I was going to pause there. Let's just pause there. Just for, I got so wrapped up in the story, I forgot to pause. All right. Uh, all right. So um, a few things there. All right. You notice what's going on in the story. So you've got Naaman who doesn't know the one true living God. He is a successful general, and yet he's got this issue in his life. He has leprosy. And uh, according back and forth in the wars of those days, they would raid and they would take prisoners. It just so happened that they took this Israelite girl, this young girl, she's captured and she's serving in Naaman's household. And I think part of the story is how this young girl relates to even her captive family. That this young girl, we don't, we don't know what kind of fear would have been there, what, how distressed she would have experienced, all of this removed from her family. And yet this young girl, because she is an Israelite, because she knows the one true living God, she's in this family and maybe it was a risk, we don't know, we don't know any other details, but for whatever reason, she recognizes this need of this foreign king. And she steps forward and she says, hey, do you know, there is a power in this world. There's a relationship in this world that could change your master's life. I think what she is doing is she does, we're, we're going to talk about four what I'm calling timeless principles. And, and, and she's really illustrating two principles that I think could rejuvenate uh, the sharing of the faith in our lives. And the one is a little bit different because, of it, because it's a, a context, but it's not talked enough about 
in our church. And, and this, this first timeless concept is simply being relational, sharing our lives with other people in, in, in real and authentic ways. That, that we would... Um, that we would just begin by doing the second greatest commandment, and that is loving our neighbors, right? In this instance, she was living with the family, so it wasn't really, but, but in this, she was just sharing her life, and, and she's, she was, that was an expression of love, right? She, she was saying to Naaman, or at least his wife, did you know there is a power other in this world that can transform your life? Jesus, if you think about Jesus for a moment, do you know what one of his key strategies and models of sharing the kingdom of God with others was? It was just relationship. It was getting involved in people's lives. In fact, we know this primarily because he took so much criticism for doing just that. It says in Matthew 9, 10, Jesus, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, who is a main tax collector, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I look forward to the day that someday the church is gonna take criticism for hanging out with sinners. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be great? To, to take on criticism because we are sharing. There has been, I would say, this, this false idea that's not a new covenant idea. It's more of an old covenant idea where you're to remove yourselves from people who are not Christian, not following the way. And Jesus models something very, very different. He said, you are the light of the world. If you're just shining your light and all the other lights, how is that getting to the place of the dark world, right? How, and he's modeling and inviting in that. I, uh, I have a good friend who is a church plano, planter in Fresno, California. His name is uh, Nicholas Pope, Nick Pope. So when we have uh, denominational meetings, we wait for him to get there because then we can start. When the Pope arrives, <laughs> we can start our meeting. He's a great guy. He laughs loud and he's very jolly. He is probably, I, I, I think he is the best evangelist th that I know. And he does something that I, I don't know if we can get there. It's really, really difficult. You have to be really nuanced to be able to do this. But you know what he does? He invites people over to his house Amen. for dinner. Like, of course, his church folks, his friends, and all of that. But just, that's what he does. And he doesn't, you know, get a, a whiteboard and, and share the bridge diagram. That would be creating an awkward moment, wouldn't it? No, he, he likes people. He actually loves people. 
And in an authentic way, he invites them into his life again on a regular basis. And he's sharing life with them. He's getting to know them. They know he's a pastor. They know, but they, they come into his life. He shares his life with them and allows others to share their life with him. Would it be amazing if we simply said, hey, could we grow in hospitality? Can we start to love others well? Nick uh, is also, the Pope is part of Weight Watchers. I love when he shares his stories about Weight Watchers, right? He's usually the only guy in the Weight Watchers group, and so it's, uh, it's him and all his Weight Watcher women you know, and he shares story and he tells them and he and his wife invite the, those uh, gals over to their house, right? And, and I'm sure that they love Nick. You know why? Because he loves them. He shares their life with them. Does he want to share Jesus with them? Absolutely, of course. Why? Because he's the best thing since sliced bread. Amen. It's not that Nick doesn't have the issues that other people have. He's got issues just like me, right? And yet God's presence and power transforms how he works through those issues, how he struggles through those issues. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could simply begin sharing our lives with others and allowing them to share their lives with us? Amen. Now, this uh, young Israelite gal, I think she, she illustrates one other really neat evangelistic principle. And it's a little different because it's in the Old Testament. So does she know Jesus and the gospel of Jesus? She doesn't. But you know what she knows? That the God of Israel offers a different kind of life. That's what she knows. That, that she knows that the God of Israel can heal every aspect of brokenness in our lives, whether it's emotional or relational or spiritual or physical. And she has the ability to testify to the wife of Naaman that did you know that there really is another way to live? That, that there is a God in this world at that time in Israel that, that your husband could go to and testify that there is a prophet who is operating in the power of the one true living God and he could transform and give Naaman a leprosy-free life. What a testimony. The, this young Israelite girl. I think that's a beautiful testimony to us that we get to share a different kind of life. We get to share our story of how God has engaged and loved and forgiven and renewed and healed our lives at every level or at least we're pursuing that, and then we get to share also his story of how he died on the cross for us. Think about the series that we've been in. If we really lived all of these seven ministries of the Holy Spirit, 
If we were really going after it, can you, what the difference of intimacy with God, the different life that that presents, the, the difference of identity that we could actually not believe the, the lie of the culture for who we are. And hear God's voice. The the difference of our lives, if we were really living that life, if we were really going after our gifts and connecting our lives to a greater story, a greater arc in this world, that we weren't just focused on our own needs, our own wants, our own desires, but we're looking to God for his kingdom. Get the different life connected to these greater purposes than just our individual needs. And to think that if we're going after that kind of transformed life and then we're rubbing shoulders and eating dinner and having coffee and serving those who don't know that kind of life, what kind of testimony? How how attractive, what a longing. You see in Naaman just this little testimony of this young Israelite girl He longs for that different kind of life, that different kind of connection. There's a a story in uh, Abraham Lincoln. It's a... it's a historical story. We're not sure it could be, uh, it could be a kind of a created story, but there was one historian that told the story. I like to believe that it was true. It's, it's a neat story about testifying to a different kind of life. The story goes like this, that uh, Abraham Lincoln went to a sli- uh, slave block and he was bidding for this young slave girl. And as he's bidding, the slave girl sees, you know, all the, the white men bidding for her, just assuming it didn't matter who got her, that they would just buy her and then use her and abuse her. Well, as the story goes, Abraham Lincoln won the bid. And as they're walking, he said to the young lady, he said, you are free. And she said, well, what does that mean? He says, it, it, it means you're free. She said, does that mean that, that I can say whatever I want to say? And Abraham Lincoln said, yes, my dear. You can say whatever you want to say. She says, does that mean that, that I, can, I, I can be whatever I want to be? Yes, dear, Abraham Lincoln said. You can be whatever you want to be. You're You're free. She says, does that mean that I can go wherever I want to go? Removing the change. He said, yes, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. The girl with tears streaming down her face said, then I will go with you. What's happening there is Abraham Lincoln, he was committed to a better life. A life of freedom in so many ways, physical as well as relational and spiritual and so forth. And he's, and he's giving and sharing this different kind of life with this young woman. Do you get that the gospel represents this radically different kind of life, 
free of condemnation, free of bondage to sin, free of addiction, free of separation from our one true living God. This represents if one of the greatest things and struggles in our culture, in our country today is loneliness. It's free of that loneliness. We were created to walk intimately with God and we're offering a life that addresses all these things. Can you imagine if the people of God We're not only living that abundant life, but sharing that abundant life with those who do not know. We wouldn't create awkward moments, would we? We'd create moments of longing and desire and hunger for the life that Jesus offers. All right. Now, I'll keep going in the story. I was so wrapped up. Look at verse 9. Let's start from there. Because I think Elisha illustrates two other timeless principles of evangelism that we can live. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he said to him this message, Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. I love the contrast between the young Israelite girl and the king of Israel. The young Israelite girl is like, do you know there's a power? And the king of Israel is like, what? He's trying to pick a fight. What about Elisha, your prophet? That's why Elisha's a little bit like, really? All right, send him to me. You got such little testimony, right? So he sends him to Elisha. Um, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. These were expectations. This is what Naaman was expecting. And are not Abana and Farpar, I hope that's how you say that, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. It's not good. Verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be clean, cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. As the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. The miraculous power. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. It's a neat story how it goes on. I'll let you read the rest of the story later today. But he would become a worshiper of Yahweh. 
He would become a lover of the Israelite God. He would respond to that. Now, I think Elisha, as the the young girl demonstrated these timeless principles uh, of simple hospitality, of relational, of sharing lives with one another, uh, of testimony, of testifying to the power of God, the existence of God, the reality of God, different kind of life. So Elisha demonstrates two other timeless principles. And one is this, and I, I'll get it at it this way. How did Elisha know about Naaman? How did he know of leprosy? How did he know about the cure and how he were to dip himself seven times in the Jordan? How did he know? (laughs) It's not rocket science. I don't have a... What was that? What was the answer? I mean, he must have, that, that's a prophetic deal is, right? You, you spend time with God and God is telling you of the needs that surround you. That, that he must have had this aspect of listening and praying to God for this awareness of how the king of Israel was failing and not giving testimony and how this general was coming and what was needed. So he's spending time and then prophetically he's like, all right. Send them to me. I think there's this principle that is so often missed that I would love for us to grow in as a church and that's this principle of listening prayer. The idea, now I've been trying to grow in listening prayer for the last couple years actually. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline that we talk about in different times. But there's another aspect to listening prayer that that I want to talk to you about this morning, and that is evangelistically. That I don't want to just listen on behalf of, you know, if I have a decision to make, if I'm wrestling with someone, and I'm saying, God, would you speak? I think that's a discipline that's overlooked oftentimes. But what about this discipline? What about the discipline of listening on behalf of, of others who do not know God. Do you think God would honor that kind of prayer? Yes. Do you think that that would have an impact on how we share our faith? Yes. Because then we wouldn't have to be strategic. Oh, I wonder if that person, no. But if we actually, hey God, I'm available would you lead? Would you guide? Would you direct? I think there's a wonderful example in the, in the New Testament, Ananias. He was praying and we're told that in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision and he said, Ananias, yes, Lord. He answered, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying. Ananias, he actually knew about Saul but he only knew him because he was persecuting the church. That's another great story where he's like, God, I don't think you want me to go there. So you have to be careful if you're listening and letting him direct, right? He's like, no, 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 go, go, go. But can you imagine if we took our non-Christian friends and family and listened on their behalf? InterVarsity is a parachurch organization 
that I served on staff for a number of years with. And InterVarsity is growing in this one spiritual discipline of listening prayer. It's adding to intimacy and God's voice in their lives, but it's also they're doing listening prayer for evangelism. And they're seeing great evangelistic work happen on college campuses across the United States. You know why? Because they're listening on behalf of their non-Christian friends and family and fellow students. I was reading the testimony of, of uh, one speaker. He's an university staff worker on college campus. He was telling the story that he was um, uh, in the Pacific Northwest and he was preparing to teach on listening prayer. So he was meeting with students. He was going to teach on listening prayer. Well, then it found out that there was going to be a number of students that came that didn't know the Lord, that, that weren't walking with, uh, in a personal relationship with Jesus. And he contemplated, should I change my, my subject? Because listening prayer was really for the Christians to grow in. He decided not to. So he taught on listening prayer. And then what he did is he invited them into an experience of actually listening. Can you imagine? He didn't just teach and fill their knowledge, but like then gave them an experience of listening. And then that next morning, that was on a Friday night, Saturday morning, he gave an invitation to receive Christ. And two people received Christ. When he asked what happened, there was a um, Christine, and she told her story. She said she started to explore Christianity after the death of her grandma, Christian grandmother a few months ago. She was close to her grandmother, and her death prompted Christine to ask questions about the purpose and the meaning of life. So she started hanging out with an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on her campus. During the listening prayer exercise the night before that she did on Friday night, Listen to what her experience was. She saw Jesus in her mind's eye with his hands extended toward her. Then she saw her now deceased grandparents behind him, with him, and all of them were inviting her to follow him. The experience flooded her with faith and she gave her life to Jesus during the invitation the next morning. Isn't that awesome? Just giving the experience of trying to listen to God, a non-Christian trying to listen to God, and she had that experience of Jesus. The speaker goes on to say, um, there was a young man at that same conference, uh, his name was Jackie, and he came up to him and said, yesterday I was an atheist, today I'm a Christian. And he said, um, intrigued, I asked him to explain. He said that this has a, that I have a science background, but I've been hanging out with some InterVarsity folks. What got him really curious was when a staff worker, an InterVarsity staff worker, like a college pastor, offered words she had heard from God about him, causing him to ask, how did you know that? Did you get that dynamic? So a staff worker was doing listening prayer for him, Jackie. And God gave her some words. And then she shared with those words. And he was spellbound because they were words that 
She shouldn't have known on her own. So Jackie does listening prayer, and he didn't have the experience of seeing Jesus or anything like that. He said, I heard one word, and that one word was believe. So he gave his life to Christ that morning in that. Can you imagine if we were listening to God, letting the Spirit of God direct our evangelistic words and relationships and initiatives, what kind of power that would be in sharing this abundant kingdom life with those we love. I am not good at listening evangelism yet. But someday, I'm going to share my own story. Someday, that, that's my deterrent. Would you join me in that? Yes, just sign up, put that there, that'd be great. Okay, one other uh, evangelistic, timeless principle, and it has to be said from this story, and that is not only listening evangelism, but also power evangelism. What would it be if we as a people believed that God's power to heal and restore was present today. You see, this is the heart of prophetic ministry that we're trying to grow in, is that the, the prophetic, which now we all get to play, right? We all get to listen. We all get to listen for God's voice, not only for our own lives, but for others' lives. We also, we get to pray for healing and restoration with all the people that we come into contact with. You see, this was at the heart of Elisha's ministry. When, when Elijah was transferring ministry to Elisha, this was Elisha's request. Elijah says, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? He said, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. In other words, the spirit that empowers your ministry, the spirit that is behind what you're doing. If you're calling me to carry this mantle of ministry, would you give me a double portion? And God does. And, and so at the heart of the ministry of Elisha was the spirit of God. Now, how does that translate to us today? I'm learning and growing. Uh, uh, just a, maybe a week ago, uh, my wife and I, we, we work out at Orange Theory. Some of you have seen Orange Theory on that. It's a kind of this intense workout thing, and, and there's like 25 people, and you have coaches. And we've been doing it for like four years. And uh, and so there's a coach that, that we've known, I won't, I won't share his name, uh, but uh, a coach we've known for a number of, of years, don't really know his faith background, but this was Memorial Day. I think it was Memorial Day, it was the last workout. And so we were still stretching, we're a little bit older than everybody else, so we have to stretch a little bit longer than everybody else. And so we're stretching, and coach, he comes and sits next to us, and we just start talking, and he starts sharing his life. He starts sharing about um, an uncle that took his own life. He starts sharing all these different stories and, you know, really taken back. And then he starts sharing about issues with his back and how he's, 
um, losing mobility and sometimes after classes, he has to stretch for a long time, like an hour before he can be pain-free. So he's sharing all of this. And so we were talking about all the things that he's trying to do and the medications and, the, and this and that and that. And I just said, I'm like, well, all right, let's give it a shot. I said, you know, there's one other thing we can do. He said, what's that? He said, I said, you know, we could pray. So I believe in the healing power of God. He just told him a little story of an elder that had his back miraculously prayed. He's like, I, I would love it if you prayed for me, Eric. And I said, would it be okay if we prayed right now? And he said, yeah. And I said, could I lay my hand? Maybe I'll just put my hand on your foot. And he's like, no, you can lay hands on me wherever you want. I said, well, let's, let's stay with the back. Well, let's... So right there in the little, little orange theory workout area, we just... We prayed for his back. We prayed for healing. We, we prayed that, are there any broken backs in heaven? No. Nope. So we prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So there was, there was nothing hugely miraculous that happened. At least I don't know. I, I didn't get to see him when we worked out in Orange Theory. He usually is at a, another facility. But I'm praying, and regardless of how God is responsible for the results, right? I'm, not, I'm just responsible for the doing. But regardless of where that goes, I, I know that this coach was blessed by our love and care and concern. Friends, can you imagine if we began growing in these timeless principles, if we, relational evangelism, we're just sharing our lives with folks, testimonial, where we shared of a better life, an abundant life that God, Jesus Christ, makes available to us. If we began listening on behalf of those that we love that don't yet know Jesus, said, God, what do you think? Can you imagine if we began to believe and really started praying for the restoration of all things and the reality of heaven. Can you imagine the witness and the testimony that would take place from this community of faith? It'd be unstoppable. Game over. Jesus comes back, bam. (laughs) Would you pray with me? Would you just take a moment as the, as the worship team comes forward, as the elders come forward for, for communion? Holy Spirit, I would ask, would you give us just one way, one principle, whether relational and hospitality or listening, whatever that one thing that we could do that we could grow in. But I, I want to grow in, in, in listening to evangelism. I don't want to just pray for my non-Christians, friends and family and neighbors and loved ones. Lord, I'm, I'm committing to grow in listening on their behalf. What's that one step of obedience 
that God, the Holy Spirit, is causing you to join him in. Would you just listen for just a moment? It was the night that Jesus celebrated the Passover dinner with his disciples. It was the final night before he would be betrayed and abandoned by all his closest followers. And yet he still delighted in instituting this sacrament, this means of grace that in some beautiful, mysterious way, we would be able to receive his grace, his presence, his power, his forgiveness into our lives as we, as we take the physical elements of bread and juice that, that it's just a symbol of this spiritual transaction that he offers to us, that we get to take of his life and fill our lives with it. What a beautiful thing. How we're doing communion today is we have a station for each section, the appropriate time. If you leave to your right, take the elements. Would you hold the elements together? We'd like to take them together as a sign of unity this morning. So you take, you go to your right, you return to your seats, to your left, holding the elements, and then at the appropriate time, we'll take it together. Jesus, with his disciples, he took the bread, and after he gave thanks and blessed it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember my sacrifice. Remember my life. Receive my life. And in a similar way, after dinner, Jesus took the cup and he talked of a new covenant which really represented a, a new life in Christ, a new way to live, an abundant kingdom life. And it was this invitation to this new and different life. He said, this is a new covenant in my blood. He secured this new life. Take and drink in remembrance of me. And when we do this, Paul says, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We proclaim not only that Jesus has come and died on the cross for us, we proclaim not only that he will return to judge the living and the dead, but also we proclaim his life available to us 
in this present moment. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this beautiful means of grace, this beautiful table is ready. Come and take.